live in an age where every corner you turn, there's someone waiting in the shadows. Was it the lips or a switchblade dick? Where lies and manipulation are the dueling blades of the day. And you're looking to set yourself free. We'll keep walking right off the edge of that cliff. Because these are tales from the bottom. If you are here, well, there's no excuses because you signed up to it. So you sit down, shut the fuck up, smoke them if you got them, and enjoy or not. Luna, my partner in true crime. Are you there? Dead bug. How are you? Good. Good. How about yourself? I'm just spiffy, Jack. You know it's the only time they pull the stick out of the cellar door. Yeah. Let me out. It's the highlight of my month. So you got yourself in a dark place? You're ready to regal the hungry wolves with some true crime? Not just any true crime, Jack. True crime from the bottom down. Yeah. It's been a little while. I got a... I got a good one. It's kind of recent. Well, it's very recent. It's old and it's recent at the same time, so I'm looking forward to talking to you. But it's from Canada. Canada, eh? I didn't know they committed crimes anymore. I thought they were all homosexuals. (laughs) I mean, you know I hate to generalize, and there's nothing wrong with being homosexual. Yeah? Nice. But I got a good crime as well. It's an old one. So who's going first? You want to flip for it? Yeah, let's flip on it. I'm excited about this. There's there's, a... I want to get it out. Jesus, Jack. That sounds ominous. (laughs) Uh, you flip, you go for it right now. Heads or tails? Uh, heads. You got it, Pontiac. You're up on deck. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Let's get going, Deadbug. On November 4th of 2023, this year, -year 58-year-old Randall Hopley, a convicted child molester, abductor, predator, walked away from a halfway house in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, Deadbug, he cut his ankle bracelet and disappeared amongst the scourge of homeless out there. You know Vancouver, right? Relatively well. But when you say scourge, I mean, is it like, you know, crime con? Where all these homeless people get together and hang out and (laughs) swap homeless stories? I don't... Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty harsh word, but it's true. If you take a look at any YouTube video walking around downtown Vancouver right now, I'd probably describe it as a scourge. What's happened is that they have recently legalized all drugs. So you can just be shooting up on the street and not get arrested. So everybody who likes to do drugs and live on the street is in Vancouver. All of all Canadians are that are of that ilk. Have you seen it? Have you seen how bad it's gotten? It's like those uh, videos from California, Tent City and just fentanyl uh, zombies I mean I've seen the, I've seen the ones from uh, California I mean it's it's insane I mean you know I mean I lived in California in the late 1990s and uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there was nothing like that nothing so I mean I, I saw it and it was just holy shit things have changed you know because I was looking around thinking of moving mm. you know because England isn't the best places right now either and then I saw that <laughs> and Maybe it's not. one of these places now that unless you're, you know, a big superstar yeah. and, uh, you know, you're like you're Richard Simmons or something and you can got live <laughs> in one of those big mansions uh, with the big uh, gates, I mean, forget about it. If uh-huh. Unless you've got security and cameras and big gates, forget about it. You're right. You know, I've 
kind of wish I was, well, I wish I was younger. I'm happy with my life and all, but if I was younger at this time doing what I'm doing and living in that area, you imagine the amount of content you'd be able to collect, though? A cocksucker's paradise. And just, like, the inspiration. A never-ending supply of stories to tell. For for writing some of the stuff that we do, uh, just walking down the street and seeing people taking shits on the sidewalk and shooting each other up, and there's sex friggin' going on everywhere, horrific homeless sex, but sex all the same. You know, Jack, it leads me to despair sometimes when I'm standing there, and I'm looking around. I was at the train station the other day. Mm-hmm. I'm there walking through it with my hot dog in my hand. And I see one of those uh, photo booths. And there was some girl down on her knees giving some black guy a blowjob, sucking Whoa. him off. And the curtains, curtains were open and everything. And they were just sort of like, uh, just doing what they were doing, you know? Wow. And no, never mind to the rest of the world, Jack. Just doing what made him feel good. With no fear of hell. Did you stop? You know me, Jack. Of course I did. I pulled out that deck chair that I'm always traveling with. Pulled out my nachos, dip, my portable radio. And I yelled out to the guy, Hey, Chief, when you're done, (laughs) let me in there. I'm an opportunist, Jack. You know that about me. Especially when it comes to skank pussy. (laughs) Even politically correct times aren't going to rob me of that, Jack. But I got to say, this wasn't too appetizing. These were fucking junkies. Yeah, it's tough to look at. I mean, that's not really sex. I like to call it the swapping of AIDS-tainted fluid. You know the score, Jack. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you don't really want to watch that stuff. I'd almost rather watch someone take a shit than I would two two crackheads going at it. Okay, Jack, that's just crazy talk. Let's not get carried away. You always got to take things too far. (laughs) So it sounds like you're living in kind of a rough part of town anyways, right? No, I was traveling into the city for something. I live in the suburbs, which is generally pretty safe. For now. You know how these things can change. Okay. So it's kind of just bleeding in everywhere with some of the policies that they got set. That's what's happening with BC as well, with this uh, scourge of homeless like I'm talking about. But we'll move on. Randall Hopley, he'd completed a six-year prison sentence in 2018, which I'll get to the reasons for. And he was serving at a 10-year close supervision term in a Vancouver halfway house when he disappeared just on November 4th of uh, this month. So Hopley told supervisors at the halfway house he was at that he was going to go to a thrift store on November 4th. It was a Saturday. The 58-year-old was set to face trial on the Monday for a breach of his restrictions following an incident in late 2022 where he entered a library with children present and spent some time looking around. Dead bug. And uh, when you get to know this guy better, you'll know that that's not, that's, that's not good. He shouldn't be in a library where there's children. He was covered on an original episode of Dark Topic back in 2017. I started Dark Topic in t- late 2016. This is one of the first episodes that I researched. And the reason why I have so much information is because of that episode back then. It's a lost episode of Dark Topic. Today, if you search him, you won't find probably any of this information that I'm going to share today. You looked into him a bit, Deadbug. What, did you find much? I couldn't find a goddamn thing, Jack. Yeah, see? And you know, Jack, I consider myself no slouch in the research department. Uh, I, I can usually dig things up, so to speak, and I found nothing. And to be truthful, and I know I already voiced these concerns with you, with the information I found, I'm thinking, how are we going to do a show on this? How are you going to hold up your end of the story? Because as conspiracy theorists would say that this guy is... Uh, protected? And that's exactly what I thought. What's the caper here? Is this guy protected? And before we get into this, mm-hmm. this guy's a pedophile. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you feel about how these uh, pedophiles should be treated? It's like I almost feel like this guy's, uh, he's protected. Yeah. Is this becoming the new normal, Jack? Are we in the upside down world here? Uh, a lot of abnormal things seem to be becoming the new normal. But I mean, I just kind of try to hide away and uh, stick around my family and, and try not to look at the window too much. Actually, I live in the middle of nowhere, so I'm going to look at it too much. Um, it's scary, though, Dead Bug. I mean, especially when you've seen the guy's mugshot. Have you seen his mugshot or just his mug? <laughs> No, I've seen it. Like I said, holy fuck, you know, it's just like, you know, and I, I don't want to offend any of our pedophile listeners or anything here. No, right. Or ugly people, right? Perish the thought, Jack. I'm a man of the people. <laughs> but the thing is, he's ugly, right? Genetics have placed restrictions on him. I, I mean, he, in the looks department, uh, he's at a disadvantage. Is he part Native American? <laughs> I mean, not that Native Americans are fucked up looking, but uh, you I know what I mean. No, maybe because maybe. he looks a bit like a clean-shaven Ted Kaczynski, uh, to me, anyways. Oh, because mm -hmm. he has this weird shit going on with his eyes. They're really deep set, like the halfway into his brain. Yeah, he looks like a potato or something. You know, I'll say, man, that I was gonna say he's top three most um, disturbing, ugly people I've seen in my life. You haven't seen my brother's wife. <laughs> But I think he's number one. I think he's probably number one. I don't. Think, I can't think of anybody who beats um, him, considering he's a pedophile, and the way he looks. Right? I mean, it's rough. But anyways, like, so when he um, he disappears, right? They can't find him. And I was gonna ask you this question as well to follow up. Would you say that Randall Hopley falls under the category of recognizable? Very much so. He's he's not the type of guy who's going to slip under the radar very easily. <laughs> well, he did. He he apparently. I mean, this guy's the equivalent of Michael Jackson walking into a Mr. Subway. Mm. <laughs> right, right. I mean, he's he fucked is. up I mean, here. I mean, let's cast aspersions aside. You you know who he is right away, especially with all the mug shots that they put out everywhere. I would know. I mean, I I looked into him years ago, and if I just saw him on the street, I'd be like Randall. What, they let you out again? You're on first name basis with a pedophile, huh? <laughs> but he blended in really well on the downtown east side streets of Vancouver because after 10 days of being every single officer's, police officer's top priority to arrest, not to mention having the community on high alert looking for him, Hopley simply walked up to a police station at around 5.30 a.m. and waited out front. And an off-duty officer showing up for work recognize the wanted man, maybe after saying good morning to him, like Hopley might have even opened the door for him, be like, hey, yeah, I'm back, you know, uh, and he said, he said, uh, he said, it's, it's cold out here, and he was taken into custody. So, again, this is very recent, this month recent, so I don't have much on what he was up to, but I kind of know Randall through researching his past, and it doesn't surprise me that he told police that the reason he turned in was because he, because he was cold. And I'm assuming that the streets were much more dangerous than he remembered them being. Uh, the area has changed quite a bit since he was locked up. To continue with him, he may have been a lifelong felon, and he's nearly 60 years old. Uh, he also has that face that, that would uh, gain acceptance in any tent village across North America. But Debug, he's just a little kid at heart, this guy. I don't know if he picked that up, too, just by looking at him. He's just like a... He's got the mind of a 12-year-old kid. That's why he likes playing with little kids so much, I think. Yeah, yeah. he's a simpleton for sure. <laughs> so He's got that look, doesn't he? I mean, he's just... He's got yeah. that look. He looks like a simpleton. 
yeah, there's something really sad about him. Um, even knowing what I know about him and what I'm about to share, I can tell you that you might feel it still in the end about him as well. There's just something sad. Uh, and he, he exudes this sadness uh, by his looks and just by the fact that he is uh, what they used to call mentally retarded, for sure. And I still do, Jack. Let's not get wrapped up in semantics here. <laughs> Stop virtue signaling, Jack. <laughs> so despite the high-profile nature of this case, it seems difficult as ever to get the history on such types released to supervision. Sexual predators, I mean. Uh, there's plenty of them in halfway houses in your, in your neighborhood, maybe, uh, if you look them up. But luckily, due to my deep dive into Hopley back in 2016, before he was released to the streets again, I do have the lowdown for us, Deadbug. Would you like to hear the history of a child sex predator who recently was just walking around Vancouver for 10 days after cutting his ankle bracelet off like a sweatband, Deadbug? This whole story intrigues me, Jack, because, as mentioned, you can't find anything about this online. So I'm intrigued. Cool, I'm glad. And just one more note before I get, keep rolling here. Why are these... Um, ankle bracelets so easy to cut off. I mean, you see this guy, like he figured out how to cut this thing off just with what, a pair of scissors? Well, these ankle monitors can be cut off with a pair of bolt cutters, even a sharp pair of scissors, but it is the fact that it alerts the police, which is the deterrent. Right. I would have figured they'd be like metal or some thin kind of metal that would be um, very resistant to knives and scissors and shit? Well, there's different types of monitors. There's curfew monitors, home detention, home incarceration, standalone monitoring. And I know they don't set off metal detectors. My girlfriend had one. So they must be made out of some sort of heavy-duty rubber or something like that. But I guess the point is, is that whatever it's made of, he got out of it and he wasn't detected. They weren't alerted. Right. And what happened was he just ended up walking around the streets for 10 days and they didn't find him. And like I said, that face is very recognizable. I don't understand how he was gone for so long. The fault there, Brutus, lies not within ourselves, but in the stars. Anyways, he's not the brightest bulb, one of the dimmest, actually. So the fact he got away so easily is alarming. Even more alarming, Debug, is the nature of his criminal history. I'll get into it now. Please do. Where to start with him? Let's start at the beginning, Jack. We can go to 2007, and we'll go to the window of a 10-year-old boy's room. The boy who has a medical condition is familiar with Hopley. Hopley has been stalking him for weeks, entering a few times into the house and just looking at him while he's sleeping and then leaving. At this time, he is in the house and he's stealing a prescription bottle of some kind of medication and he's walking up to the boy and taking pictures of him while he's sleeping as well. It's clear that Randall Hopley wants the boy to come with him. He is now fervently whispering this request. As the 10-year-old who's adopted, by the way, is a foster child, his foster mother hears the conversation and enters the room at this point. Randall Hopley flees, jumps out the window, but is arrested shortly afterwards as he's incredibly recognizable due to a face that looks like a child predator Halloween mask. So they got him right away back then. I don't know why it took 10 days. Uh, recently, out on the streets... This situation, Deadbug's very disturbing, obviously. But like I was talking to you about a little bit, it's like he's like a kid. It's like he's trying to like hang out with another kid. He's not touching him. He's not doing anything like that. He's taking pictures of him. But he's kind of like, hey, come with me. Whereas some of the predators that we've talked about in the past, child abductors, you and I, they just pick him up and walk out the door, don't they? Yeah, that seems to be the usual MO. Not him. Well, this guy is a trendsetter amongst pedophiles. So in 2008, he's sentenced to 18 months in prison for the attempted abduction. 
This doesn't sit well with Hopley. He begins to formulate a harebrained scheme to get back at the Royal Mounted Police and the system, which he feels is hell-bent on destroying his life. So he's attempted to abduct this child. He was unsuccessful in this attempt. Caught lifting the lid of the cookie jar, but not putting his hand inside it. So I guess they kind of know the motive, but then they don't know the motive. No, and I don't think they ever do. I have my ideas about it. I really feel like he just wants to hang out with kids. He wants to molest them too, and he has a history of it. I'll get into it right now. But this was a weird one. He was focused on this 10-year-old boy, and he was like, Hey, come on, we'll go fucking hang out and watch movies together and shit. He, he, he's breaking into all kinds of houses and just, like, looking at kids. He's like a Muppet. Like a lost Muppet. Like a misfit, is what I'm trying to say. Like, hey... Don't these 10-year-olds have any, you know, street smarts? When I was 10 years old, I was smoking, riding a motorcycle and stuff. I mean, I can't imagine, I can't imagine, uh, you know, some guy coming to my room and me just, hey, well, you know, what do you got? Okay, well, maybe. What movie are we going to see? I mean, I would, I would, I would, this would disturb me and I would like, get the fuck out of here. You're in my bedroom, for Christ's sakes. You know, Jack, these kids seem very naive to me. And maybe it's because I was an inner city kid and I learned life's lessons early. Yeah. But it seems improbable to me a big, oafish, dim-witted guy climbing through a bedroom window in the middle of the night asking children if they want to hang out and watch uh, movies. This would have raised a few red flags for me. <laughs> Taking pictures of them. Just wait a second, Chief. Let me take off my pajama top for you and show you my nipples. Oh, come over here. I'll turn on the lamp. The lighting will be better. You know, 10 years old or not, I'd be smashing the lamp over his head saying, get the fuck out of here, you Sasquatch. This kid rolls back to sleep, right? It did say that he had some kind of uh, medical issue, so... I, who knows what you that is? You mean the 10-year-old right? kid's got a medical issue? Yeah. I mean, yeah, by the yeah, sounds yeah, of it, he's yeah. got a learning disability if he's not responding <laughs> yeah. to this guy taking pictures of him mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. I mean, because to remind everybody, this kid isn't four years old. He's 10. By the time I was 10, I was already shaving and had a union card. <laughs> I was working two jobs down at the loading dock. Right a motorcycle. <laughs> well, as you know, the Teamsters don't let the buses cross the line into the dockyards. It's a rule. You know what I mean? <laughs> You'd be sitting up with your old lady smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee. You're 10 years old. Yeah, yeah this guy wants to watch a movie, and I'm like, <clears throat> let me get another coffee and grab a cigarette, and then maybe. <laughs> well, you know, the fact that this kid is 10 years old, and he's done the rounds, and he's with a foster family, you think he'd be a little more clued into a, you know, a Sasquatch climbing in his window? Yeah, you think so. You'd think. And, you know, I guess I'm digressing here a bit, but I'm just trying to get my head around this whole strange story. What year was this? Uh, fuck. When that happened, that was back in 2007. Yeah, 2007. Okay. I mean, I would have thought it, it was in a simpler time, like Leave it to Beaver in the 50s, like that sort of, you know, gee, golly whiz, why are you climbing through my window, sir? Why are you taking out my pajama bottoms? <laughs> yeah, that's all going to happen, too, some of that. Um, but again, I but digress. Yeah. Carry on, Jack. Well, th- you're, you're correct in it not being a city area. So this is British Columbia. A lot of these places where he's doing breaking enters, B&Es, and uh, looking at kids, just staring at them. Yeah, it's kind of like the mountains, kind of like uh, cabin-esque areas. There might be suburbs, um, small collections of houses out there, but it's it's very wild in some of the areas where he's he's doing this work. It's not in the city. Work? What and, sort of um, fucking job is this? <laughs> Does he get a paycheck for this job, Jack? Uh, maybe I've been doing this too long. Yeah. Got my lunch pail? Check. My camera? Check. My abduction gloves? Check. <laughs> Time to get to work. So it's quite a naive area where all this is happening. Uh, they're not used to this shit at all. 
and even if they do catch him and, and the moments where he's been caught, he's he's been let go a few times too because Randall, like I've been trying to get across, he looks like a shaved fucking dog. You know? Like that's what a dog looks like if you shave it is what Randall Hopper looks like in his real eyes. Like a basset hound. We cannot stress enough how unusual mm-hmm. this guy looks. Mm-hmm. He looks like Chaka from Land of the Lost. You know that the land of the lost. He's got that forehead that sort of mm-hmm. Jet, jettisons out where you mm. can stand on the, to shield yourself from the rain. <laughs> yeah, you could. <laughs> All right, so uh, his childhood. His father died in a mining accident when he was just two years old. His mother quickly remarried to help support herself and her two boys, of which Randall was the eldest. It became obvious as Randall Hopley grew that he was slow. In his adult life, he'd often be described as having the mind of a 12-year-old. His IQ was scored between 59 and 73 that's fucking low dude wow that is low i think 75 is considered the start of mental retardation mm-hmm yeah he was scored as low as 59 59 jesus jack i mean that's low <laughs> i mean that is um, yeah. it must be some sort of family thing genetics because he doesn't have that look that's popular with simpletons no you know you can't identify them usually they got that haircut and they got the rope holding up the pants right it's forgivable because you got that look but he yeah. doesn't like he looks no. odd but he 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 don't look like he's got no uh, mental impairment no, a different breed uh in that category for certain for certain well because he doesn't have that certain look he's able to move within the crowds unnoticed in disguise yeah 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 so randall disliked his stepfather and was uncomfortable at home. I just want to give you a quote from the stepfather that kind of bugs me here. This coming from the stepfather after Randall becomes kind of infamous in the area for his crimes much later on. Quote, We couldn't handle him. He was always running away and in trouble all the time. He didn't want to do nothing with me. He'd stay so long that he couldn't help himself. He'd be in trouble again. End quote. Debug, I hate that quote because this is a stepfather chiming in like when he says he, he didn't want nothing to do with me like if Randall had of things would have been great but what what the guy's chiming in for is to say it's not on me what he eventually ends up doing right yeah and maybe if he had better people around him none of this would have happened too he clearly felt like he had nobody he could turn to uh, you'll see as the story goes on well sometimes these things can all be turned around with love and understanding yeah Yes, absolutely. I don't think he, I'm pretty, I'm certain he didn't have it because he was handed over to child services at the age of 10. His mother and stepfather apparently giving up on him. We, I was kind of waiting for you to say a face only a mother could love, but that's a little old. I I was going to say here, a face not even a mother could love, you know? even, Even his mom turns on him here. Yeah, very sad. Very sad. And he remains in foster care for the next nine years. So I said that that kid was in foster care that he broke into the house at. I think that he probably knew that. And maybe he felt some kind of kinship with the kid. I, I, like They said he had been stalking that boy for quite some time. Maybe he had talked to him a few times and f- figured this out somehow. Yeah. So he remains in foster care for the next nine years. During that time, he was convicted several times for assault, burglary, and molesting prepubescent children. His victims included a four-year-old, a five-year-old, and a nine-year-old. These offenses were hashed out in Canada's shrouded juvenile justice system. Yeah. So while he was in foster care, he was molesting younger kids, apparently. So he started this behavior early. In 1985, at the age of 21, Hopley is convicted of sexual assault 
and serves one and a half years in prison. I don't have a lot of information on that. Like, you found out there's no fucking information, so the fact I even have this is, is crazy. Well, this is all new to me. I did a lot of digging around, and I found very little on this guy. Everything just related to his most recent arrest. That's it. Right, I, and I was interested to see if you'd find anything, because you're good at that. I mean, that's kind of what you do, right? So in, in nothing. Usually, but this time I found nothing. It's like they just deleted this guy. Mm. Uh, and I keep on hesitating a little bit because there's a piece of information that I... I'm not. I'm, I'm pretty certain about this, that Hopley, when he went into that 10-year-old's home, foster boy, that he claimed that the mother had hired him to do it. The, the biological mother had hired him to do it. And that's and they actually kind of believed him. That's why he got such a short uh, sentence. But Bizarre. I, like a rite of passage. She wanted to teach him how yeah. to get uh, ass-fucked, what it felt like. <laughs> no. So, upon his release in 85, he begins living with a fellow outsider in a trailer. So, that incident happened in 2007 where he climbed in the window. I'm going back to his childhood here, just to be clear for everybody and for you, Deadbug. Now we're kind of going back a bit. So, mm. when he's released kind of from foster care in 85, he begins, and for um, serving a, one and a half years for a sexual assault charge and for whatever reasons he'd been kept in juvie for the molestations to children that we don't know anything about because it's protected upon his eventual release where he's for the first time really on his own he starts living with a fellow outsider in a trailer surrounded by a junkyard in bc this man his name's orville, orville. that's uh, unusual which suits the situation orville's one of those names that's a strange <laughs> name you, and, you, you ever you ever met anybody named orville you just what this guy in town. There's a guy in town named Orville. One, he plays the fiddle and he just lost a leg, I think. Well, that says it all. I mean, if your name is Orville, I guaranteed at some point you're going to lose your leg. <laughs> you know what? I got to tell you this now you brought him up quick. Have you met an Orville? I brought him up. You brought him up. <laughs> Don't put that shit on me. Did you tell your off-colored tales? <laughs> okay. All right, here it comes. He, in, it was negative uh, 40. I'm standing outside of the bar having a cigarette, and I hear, ah, did I tell you? Oh, how I miss Canada on its negative 40 mornings. <laughs> yeah. And I hear, ah, ah, I look across the street, and it's Orville, and he's fallen uh, on his way home. And he's a big, he, I walk, run over there with a friend of mine, and he's attached. His, he wasn't wearing gloves, and he's attached to a fire hydrant that maybe he was pissing on. <laughs> I don't know. Fuck. And he's a ta like, and so I reefed him up. We reef him up, and his hands are all fucked up. All the skin gets ripped off of them and stuff. Yeah, so that was horrible. I had to call an ambulance. He's like, oh, no, don't call an ambulance. It cost me a fortune. Well, you could, you could say thank you at this point, you know? You're going to fucking die. Jesus, Jack, you do run with some characters, and that's your Orville story. Orville, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not this Orville. This is just some guy who lives in a junkyard that, that Randall Hopley is living with. So Orville described Randall, and I bring up Orville because I think he knows Randall probably better than most people do. Randall Hopley didn't have many friends that were adults. So he described Randall as a simple man, a square shooter who didn't like to be pushed around and wouldn't hurt a fly in his opinion. The sense I get about Hopley Deadbug, I've already kind of mentioned it, is that he's a child in a man's body. He relates to kids, but because he's a man, he also wants to fuck them which complicates things a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a man-child. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, uh, 
I once knew a nurse who uh, worked in like a uh, home for the retarded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, me too. I don't know. I don't know if it was like a resort or if it was a hospital. You know, they were just going there to hang out together or, or whatever. But she said, uh, she said that they they uh, you know because uh, the the IQs were so low. They, but they still had that sexual drive. They were fucking everywhere. Oh, yeah. You open up a closet, and they'd yep. be fucking pounding back. You know, you'd just be, you know, it'd be. That's what they did because they still had those uh, those urges. Yeah. And you know, even though they had this um, a mental right. affliction, you know, they were still getting balls deep. She said, you, know, and she said it fucking smelled as well because they oh. they got that fuck. <laughs> You know, because sure. they, they got that sort of retard odor about them, and they're doing it. You know, this is life. <laughs> this is part of life, Jack. I mean, sorry to be so blunt here, Jack. But, I mean, these are her words and not mine, so don't chastise me for another's words, Jack. I mean, the, the, that would be hypocritical of you. I was taking a sip of really hot tea there, and now it's all <laughs> over the place. Wow, that's a new one, man. Retired odor. I, that's what she said? <laughs> She's a medical professional. I, I have to say, like, I know what she's talking about. I mean, I have to say I was offended at the time, and I told her as much. I said, this is offensive, yeah, yeah. but, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to push mm-hmm. it. She was a medical professional. Yeah. And besides, Jack, you know me. Uh, I'm non-judgmental. Judging ain't my business, Jack. Go on. Carry on Carry on with your tale on pedophiles, Jack. Yeah. So uh, often I wonder if... if so, hey, I don't want to get into that conversation, actually. I'm just going to keep going here. I was going to talk about fucking feelings about pedophiles and everything else. I, I, it always gets us into trouble. I mean, even though you just got us in the most trouble we've ever been in, probably, with the retard odor. But... <laughs> I fucking love the way you try to turn it all around on me. You try to, to push a negative towards me. I'm just uh, quoting a medical professional here, Jack. I'm a journalist, Jack, who's been in war-torn countries, and I'm just uh, recounting a tale to you. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Jack, will you grow up? <laughs> All right. So through his 20s, Randall Hopley continues to be a concern for those who knew him. He grow up, dude. <laughs> Hold on a sec. Hold on. Yeah, Jack, I'm serious. Grow up. Yeah, no, Jesus Christ, this is a podcast was, we're doing. It's not a fucking stumbling uh, into comedy that hour at the fucking up. improv. It's ringing in my head. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if Mr. Ballin would take me on. So Hopley begins to be a concern for those who knew him uh, all right away as as he gets onto the streets and starts dealing with other people. He's described as a dirty, creepy guy by the general public. Every town has a few. Every city has hundreds. Uh, but in a place like BC, Deadbug, we're talking a lot of creeps. Vancouver specifically. It's warmer than other parts of Canada, more liberal, tolerant to a fault, and it's being overrun by, uh, by just fucking creepy homeless people to be honest weird and this used to be this used to be the the enviable place to live in canada that's insane mm-hmm. i'm sure there's there's definitely parts like uh victoria what's it called yeah victoria uh vancouver island might be a little bit different but right downtown i'll, mm. I'll bring something up here in a sec i just wanted to quote mike tyson here about what what uh is going on in vancouver yeah, that's a good idea jack if you want to put things into perspective start quoting mike tyson <laughs> here it is you're like this it is easier to get forgiveness than to get permission <laughs> the stupid neither forgive nor forget <laughs> yeah something real simple anyways but... i'm digressing once again share with us all this peanut of wisdom that you picked out of tyson's shit <laughs> so here's the quote from mike tyson real quick if you're a friend to everyone you're an enemy to yourself okay I mean, that's not bad. This, I, that's a, I actually like that quote from Mike. He probably stole it off of a fucking wall in a church 
dungeon where he used to box or something. But um, if you're a friend to everyone, you're an enemy to yourself. This applies here. When it comes to like downtown Vancouver and BC, Canada, it's like, come on in, everyone. Drugs are legal. I will even pay you to do them. Like, we're, they're paying people to do drugs, basically. You have lineups of people trying to get their check, and then you got people just laying on the streets or hunched over uh, doing the fentanyl boogie. Well, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, there are people who choose being homeless as a lifestyle, and then there are those who are legitimately homeless. I mean, they've got nowhere else to go, and they've fallen through the, the cracks of society. Yep, and uh, they won't take it because it's more fun to be doing free drugs on the street, sitting on the couch with your buds. These people you are describing to me, they don't sound like victims. To me, they sound like they've chosen this as a lifestyle, and they're, they're quite enjoying it. The highs, the lows, especially the highs. Right. No, absolutely. And they have no motivation to either because the weather, for the most part, is nice, and nobody's giving them any hassle. And, um, you know, fentanyl's cheap. We didn't have fentanyl. I mean, I guess in my mind, anyways, it's a bit of a new thing. So, I mean, you're setting the scene here. You're setting a scene. Okay, so if you were to search on YouTube, anybody listening here, search when you get a time, write it down, Sunday noon walk in Vancouver, Canada. You think that would be a nice thing to search, right? It's not, it's not anymore. Sunday noon walk in Vancouver, Canada. You know what we're talking about here. They have shoot-up cafes there. You're allowed to just go in and shoot up, and they're like, oh, it's a safe spot. Walk into one of those places. It's just like a back alley. It's just got drywall around it. People laying on the floor, throwing up. But, uh, you know, this is progress, apparently. And this is the setting where Randall Hopley escaped to recently and decided to go back to jail instead. Randall Hopley begins to crack up in 2010. A family heads out to their rarely used cabin to scatter the ashes of a loved one. They notice that the gate lock has been changed when they arrive. And soon Randall Hopley appears, swearing, yelling, and accusing the group of trespassing on their own property. Hopley is not wearing a shirt. He's dressed only in a pair of women's pajama bottoms. So, I don't know if we failed to adequately describe Randall Hopley's appearance to this point, but you have to picture the body of Gollum with a head featuring chin-length brown greasy hair and a face like us, we've explained, you know, Jean Chrétien, like a spoiled potato. It's just a nasty scene here, him without his shirt on, wearing, like, pink women's pajama bottoms, saying that this is his cabin. I mean, all kidding aside, the size of this man and for, uh, being a young family showing up, it, it would be quite threatening. Yeah. The police are called, and Randall is taken away. He's charged with 12 counts, including breaking and entering and possession of stolen property. The remaining charges aren't available, but I bet they have something to do with the state of the cabin. So inside, he's knocked down a wall between two rooms, creating a single room within the cabin. Um, over one of the doors is a door of the Explorer blanket. Inside, there's a dresser full of children's clothing that's not these people's. They're like, what the fuck is all this children's clothing? There's chocolate bars, there's treats, there's a VCR and a TV. That's All this stuff's not theirs. It's like junk he's brought in. There's children's movies. There's pull-up diapers everywhere, one of which had been cut to look like a thong. <laughs> so he's. <laughs> I know Kent did something very similar when he went to Acapulco in yeah. the summer. It just 
<laughs> yeah, the infamous Acapulco trip. He got banned from the beach, didn't he, for that? <laughs> You're making the children cry. But they were like, it's punishment enough how uh, sunburnt your ass cheeks are. Get out of here, you son of a bitch. And they smacked him on his fucking sunburnt ass, and he's walled away with his pulling his diaper thong out of his fucking huge ass. Ah, the yeah. beloved diaper thong. <laughs> you ever heard of the diaper thong? That's the first one for me. This Never is, uh, I mean, this is all a first thing for me. I mean, this for me, I'm finding this all fascinating because, I mean, I've, I've found nothing on this. So for me, it's an it's an eye opener, and yet it it all is is all totally believable because I'm looking at the guy right now. <laughs> yeah, they also find lotions, a photo of a young child, dark haired boy. They don't know who he is, and sex toys, dildos, and stuff. The room has a lock on the outside doors, so it's kind of like a cell of sorts in what the bedrooms uh, have been morphed into, though one of the doors has a door that explores a blanket over it, so that's a bit of a stretch. Mm. Uh, but it's fucked up, Deadbug. This is fucked up. Yeah, the family, very fucked up. <laughs> the family takes like one look at it, and they're like, you know what? We're going to knock this cabin down, and so they destroy the cabin. They don't want to be in there ever again. They rebuild. Uh, one member of the family is quoted as saying, quote, no mistake in his intentions. It was horrible. We came to the cabin and ruined his plans. He was very upset about that. Yeah. End quote. But despite this really uh, disturbing situation, Hopley is back in the streets later the next year and now at the age of 46. And uh, what, year was, what, what year was this when the, when the cabin was discovered? 2010. Well, it's funny how, you know, 13 years, a difference of 13 years make, because now this guy would probably have a TikTok channel. He'd probably be doing all right for himself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. He would. Bit of, bit, of, bit of a hero. Bit of a hero, especially if he sported that uh, diaper thong in every scene. Yeah, the, so, left, the left wing would love him. <laughs> yeah. So Randall Hopley is most certainly on the police and justice system's radar. Uh, but that doesn't do the Hebert family any good. When in the dead of night on September 7th of 2011, around a year since this uh, kitty cabin was discovered, Randall opens the door of the Hebert home or the Hebert. I'm going with Hebert, dead bug. It might be Hebert. I'm, I'm assuming they're not listening anyways. Hebert home. And this is in Sparwood, B.C., a small mining town of 4,000 people. Randall mm -hmm. breaks into their house in the dead of night and creeps from room to room. The mother and father in the house are fast asleep, as are their eight children. Randall soon finds what he's looking for in a bedroom that's clearly the sanctuary of a young boy or boys, judging by the decor. Hopley is on a mission. In his mind, he'll later say that this was just payback. Payback to the community and a system that's stacked against the likes of him. He tells himself that the goal isn't to abduct and terrorize a child, it's to borrow and return some of the pain he suffered at the hands of an unjust system, an unjust society. I mean, these are lofty words for a guy who's got an IQ of 59. <laughs> I think I rewrote them. Yeah, because uh, you got him sounding like Gandhi. Right. He probably just said, what's happened? It's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> right? As he's dragging a kid out of a house by his fucking hair. Not fair. In his, in his uh, thong fucking diaper. Okay, so you're paraphrasing. You're, you're paraphrasing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what he does is he enters the room. And this is terrifying, Deadbug, obviously. I mean, this is like so one in the morning. Um, and he's happy with what he sees. There's two beds, each holding a little boy. Mm -hmm. One is six years old, 
and the other is three. Hopley decides immediately that the older boy will be his, but as he scours the room, he notices cards on a dresser. He inspects them, and they're like get well cards. He discovers that one of the boys, by the looks of things the oldest, has been through a heart surgery recently. And this turns Randall off a little bit. He exits the room, creeps back out of the house, and takes a long walk to clear his head. There's mountains all around, uh, fresh air, but, you know, he's uncertain now as he tries to clear that head. It's hard to clear that head, you know? Mm-hmm. That head's all fucked up. Uh, it's all, it's already clear by the sounds of it. <laughs> the, the wind whistling through his fucking ears. He takes a walk and decides, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to go, go, go back and grab one of them anyways. So that's what he does. Yeah. He later shares this. This is a quote from him. Quote, I thought, no, if I do grab him, the kid could get startled and have a heart attack. You could end up with a dead kid. So I went for an hour's walk and later came back and took Keenan out. And quote, that's, that's the three-year-old. So, uh, okay. you know, he, he really figured things out on this walk. Closer to 3 a.m., Randall Hopley re-enters the Hebert home, glides back into the room where he dis- his decided target now, little three-year-old Keenan Hebert, sleeps peacefully. Hopley, using a dirty finger, pulls down the boy's pajama p- top, Confirming the absence of a scar, Randall then picks Keenan up and darts from the room, silently exiting the house a moment later, effectively confirming every child's suspicion that the boogeyman is real. <sighs> so, this is bad stuff. This is his worst crime. He struggles to carry the boy to his vehicle, which is parked at fair distance away. Keenan's lower body is cold. It's clad only in a pair of Scooby-Doo boxers. Mm-hmm. The location of the Hebert house is desolate, like I talked about. Though there are neighboring homes, Deadbug, it's a developing suburb in the middle of nowhere. It's tucked in amongst the quarries, trees, and mountains. Mining silos protrude from the flatter land. Things like this seem much more adapted to the surroundings than the upstart neighborhood of which a child is currently being hustled away from. Like Gollum's Ring. There's a full moon this night, apparently, too. It is out of a horror movie what's going on here, Deadbug. Do you want to say anything? Because I'm just going to roll through uh, this and uh, get to your story. This one is is dragging a little bit. Is there anything you want to chime in here, though? No, I mean, this is like you said. I mean, like you said, I'm, in, I'm intrigued. For me, this is like nightmare. Um, there's uh, This is nightmare material, isn't it? I mean, it's just, uh, you don't know what to say. I mean, there's, there's, it's just terrible, isn't it? <laughs> when you hear yeah. stories about children being abducted and stuff, there's there's nothing there's nothing really you can say except for oh my god this is terrible this is terrible it's yeah, just yeah. Uh, there's you know there's not there's nothing positive I can add to this and just sitting back and just hoping for the best I guess <laughs> I mean when you don't want to talk about the odor of people who are mentally challenged what else can I discuss <laughs> you've removed all options now continue with your story Jack I don't know got all day here for sure buddy so the boy is heavier than Hopley expected like a brick Hopley would later recall. Finally, they reach Hopley's brown 87 Toyota Camry. Three-year-old Keenan is crying in discomfort and fear now. Hopley's exhausted and full of doubt, yet he piles the boy into his vehicle and uh, the two disappear. It's not until 8.30 a.m. the next morning that Keenan's parents discover he's missing. Their first thought was likely that the boy had had been sleepwalking, as he'd done in the past, and maybe found his way to a strange spot in the house. But after a thorough, increasingly frantic search comes up empty, they call police. 
It doesn't take long for a search to get underway. Over the next four days, volunteers scour the area around the house. Investigators, 10 of them in all, soon have a suspect, Randall Hopley, a 46-year-old with a history of crimes that touch every part of this case. He is missing as well. And he's been known to be in the area, walking around. I think that he probably scattered this place out because it's got eight children in it and he was attracted to it, right? So remember, I mean, we're dealing with a guy who just walked out of a halfway house last month and uh, cut off his ankle bracelet. And this happened in 2010. So, Hopley's face is plastered all over the news. His photo is taken to every remote cabin in the surrounding area and beyond. They're asking everybody if they've seen him. Meanwhile, in a ghost town near the BC-Alberta border, Hopley has set up his young abductee in an abandoned house of which he managed to connect power. Inside, he treats the boy well enough, keeping Keenan entertained with videotapes and a small television and toys he stocked the home with prior to the abduction. Two days in, Randall leaves the home to use the internet at a cafe and post this on, I think it's on Facebook, quote, sorry, sorry, sorry. And this is an ominous message, but one that brings hope and confirms Randall to be the abductor to investigate it. Keenan's parents give an impassioned plea on television for their son's safe return. Keenan's father, Paul Hebert, reasons with his son's abductor. And, um, of course, authorities are fairly certain that Randall Hopley has Keenan at this point. But Randall himself doesn't know that everyone is looking for him and that he's the prime suspect until he sees this plea on the television that they have, uh, apparently. See, some of this I don't believe. I, I, I believe that Randall isn't watching uh, cable television in this house. I think that they're just sitting there watching Barney movies. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people fill in the blanks. I don't want to be one of them. So at the abandoned house, around the time of this public plea from the father, Keenan begins to cry for his parents and sibling. Hopley paces and struggles with his demons. He has a decision to make. And he hasn't molested this child, Deadbook. He's just, he's been sleeping with him. He's been laying down beside him and cuddling him and stuff. But, so on September 11th of 2011, four days since he stole the boy from his home, Hopley makes up his mind. Any competent investigator will tell you that in child abduction cases, you prepare for the worst and expect the worst. Keenan Hebert was in the hands of a journeyman pedophile, a man who had just recently served time for setting up a rugrat romance palace in a cabin in the woods, and now authorities had every reason to believe that Hopley had gone off the deep end and was going to make the most of the opportunity he'd afforded himself by performing this high-stakes abduction of a toddler. But in the dead of night, less than 24 hours after the Hebert family made their impassioned plea, Randall Hopley walks little Keenan back to his home, sits him on a couch, so he drives him there, gets out, carries him back again, and then just walks him into his house in the middle of the night sits him on a couch in front of the TV, lays a blanket on the boy, and says, see you later. Sorry for the fucking, uh, sorry about that. He then the exits. <laughs> right, right. Can I keep these Scooby-Doo underwear, though? And then he ex- he exits the home undetected, somehow undetected dead bug, and calls in this incredible action of his to 911. I couldn't get my hands on the audio, but I read he said something like, I brought the little boy back. You could find him at his home. When the operator asks who's speaking, the the reply from Hopley is, doesn't matter. He's returned home, okay? Doesn't matter, because I'm retard man, (laughs) citizen. 
Now let me return to my television show. Thank you. To the retard mobile. Stay safe, citizens, and I will invite your injustices. All the doors are open. He's looking going backwards, looking forwards. Da, 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 da. Yeah. The top man. Your bullets cannot penetrate my speedo yeah. diapers. Your powers are useless against mine. Oh, oh, oh. You're welcome, fair citizens. Good night. <laughs> oh. Holy shit. <laughs> All right. So stay safe. Back to the retard cave. <laughs> oh. oh, oh. Oh man! All right. So, authorities haven't the, the authorities hadn't been surveilling uh, the home for some reason, and the Hebert family is staying with friends when Keenan's returned. There's some suspicion that a deal has been made between authorities and uh, Hopley, but a promise um, with a promise that no arrest would happen if he returned the kid. But this is never proven. It is stupid. The whole thing's stupid, Deadbug. Like people think that. He called up the cops and was like, hey, listen, I got a deal for you. Um, stay away from the house and I'll return the kid in the middle of the night. Is that and, and they're like, okay, yeah, back off. You back know, Jack, off. I'm avoiding any pitfalls that you're leading me into here. I'm avoiding them. I'm not taking the bait. I will not be baited, Jack, for you to uh, turn me into the bad guy here. So just tell your pedophile story here, Jack. No jokes. I'm going to be the bigger man in this situation. So the long and the short of it is they cut a deal and he returns the kid safely. So, um, yeah, they're thanking him. And Keenan is checked over by doctors, and he's found to have sustained zero harm. The next afternoon, the press shares footage of the boy. Yeah, so he hasn't been raped. He hasn't been molested. But, I mean, there's harm. There's harm in uh, being abducted for four days. I mean, the psychological no harm, yeah. I mean, the psychological harm that will, will last forever, no I doubt. doubt that. So, but the press shares footage of the boy playing happily in his yard with his brothers and sisters the next day it's as close as it comes to a miracle here in the muck of the bottom down dead bug randall hopley was of course soon arrested for the abduction and confinement of keenan hebert the day after he returned the boy hopley sent an email to authorities apologizing for the crime this this email was traced and uh canine team tracked hopley to an abandoned mining cap and i got his fucking voice in my head man like he did an email what? What's the problem, officers? Everybody get off of my case. This case is solved. Can I have some ice cream? Oh, my God, dude. All right. So, yeah, he sends that email. And they track him to okay. a mining cabin at a limestone quarry near Crow's Nest, <laughs> Crow's Nest Pass Bible Camp at Crow's Nest Lake, just across the Alberta boundary from Sparwood where the Heberts lived. So he kind of had set up base and done this mission, brought him back to his lair. Uh, <laughs> done this mission. <laughs> and then returned him. Oh, okay. happened to be of a certain... Oh, Jesus. So he... he, 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 he and he does think he's a hero too, Deadbug. That's why, I mean, this is funny for a lot of reasons, but he does consider himself heroic. For, and he's got the... If you, if you see this guy, our voices aren't that far off. No. no <laughs> there might be better. So... Yeah. He pleads guilty to abducting the boy, possession of stolen property, B&E. Uh, a lower court, court judge gave him a six-year sentence after 26 months were deducted for time served before sentencing. 
Hopley was denied early release due to his apparent inability to recognize the magnitude of his crime. <laughs> Rosetta Stone, everybody. You know, for a long time, I've been wanting to go to Japan, but the thing holding me back is that I'm intimidated by the language. And that's why I've been going pretty hard at the Rosetta Stone service. I want to be able to take my girl to Japan, a place that she's always wanted to go, and suddenly just start speaking fluent Japanese at the restaurant. That's my goal. <laughs> Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on a desktop or as an app, and it truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It's been a trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users, 25 languages offered. It's fast language acquisition. Rosetta Stone immerses you in a bunch of ways. Uh, there's an intuitive process where you pick up the language naturally, first with words and phrases, then sentences. They have the speech recognition feature. Built-in true accent gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Uh, it's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient and it's an amazing value especially with this offer here. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Dark Topic listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Today. All right, everybody, Badlands food. I've been thinking about getting a dog. With my little family, we're about to introduce a dog, I believe, at some point here. And I have an interest in how we're going to be treating said dog. And it occurs to me, you know, that many dogs suffer from health issues. And with Badlands food, actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her foundation, says she's seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. And after doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can look to improve any dog's health. She's looking at their food. What she discovered is that the way many dog foods are made can actually create toxins that could be wrecking our dog's health. And this is true even for many premium brands. Fortunately, she found that by just adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. It caught my attention, and as I'm about to uh, get a dog, I think that I'm going to uh, use this service, so I thought I'd share it with the audience as well. Uh, I know many of you have dogs. If you want to keep your dog healthy and happy, go to badlandsfood.com darktopic and watch Catherine's video right now. Again, that's B-A-D-L-A-N-D-S-F-O-O-D.com slash dark topic to check it out. Badlandsfood.com. <laughs> oh, in a day's work, officers. I'm <laughs> Shut the fuck up, officer. You, you abducted a child. You know? You're welcome. <laughs> I like pudding. <laughs> Holy shit. So, uh, in, in the Hebert family, they forgive Randall. They send him cards of well wishes. The father, Paul, oh, like, he, I, yeah. he even, visit, he even visited um, Jesus in prison. Which goes to show you, you know, that uh, maybe he's, I don't know. He's not, he's not, I, I want to say he's not a bad guy, but... But he... <laughs> he's a bit stupid, but he's not. A... I mean, you know, I mean, the, I mean, the, here's the thing here, Jack. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like 
I I sort of take umbrage of sorts of even them them sentencing this guy. Yeah. Because he is so simple. We're on the same page then. I'm glad to hear you say and what, it. And what you're explaining to me here is is a very, very simple man. That uh, does he Is he aware of – I mean, yeah, okay, he's aware of what he's doing, but is he fully aware of what he's doing? I agree. Yeah. And um, this the recent news that Randall took off, it doesn't surprise the father of the boy who was kidnapped. When his son was abducted, Randall Hopley had only been out of prison a little while. And it's obvious to this father in meeting his child's abductor that Hopley needs to be institutionalized, like in an asylum, right? Like in a... Yeah, yeah. Which is basically where he was in today's downtown East Vancouver when he escaped for 10 days. Even That was too dangerous for him. So Keenan is now a teenager. He still brings up the incident, regardless of how well the whole thing turned out. I would say well, but I mean, for him, considering what happens to other kids. I mean, for me, this story turned out well. There are several ways it could have went, and all of them were bad. This guy is a very powerful-looking man, and uh, he could snap you like a twig if he wanted to. Bro, you're right. He is a lot bigger than um, you think. I'm glad you picked that up, too, because I saw him getting walked into prison. He's, he's an oaf. He's the definition of a fucking oaf. It easily looks like it would take six or seven cops to uh, apprehend him. He, this fucking guy is, uh, you know, put away. But, but what I wanted to say about Keenan, actually, is that he took it pretty well, considering he spent four stressful days with a predator after being stolen from his bed in the night, driven for hours to a shitty old house where he watched crappy movies, ate shit food, then slept in squalor while a potato-headed imbecile breathed down his neck on occasion and did God knows what else, Deb. Four fucking days with a kid when you're a pedophile? And he's three. Maybe he doesn't remember what, what he did, you know? It, even though it's been worse, that's fucking pretty bad. If I knew my kid had been in that situation for four days, I'd want to kill the guy. Well, it seems like this kid, Paul, who is now uh, an adult... Is, is good-natured. Although he's really pissed off that he was uh, somehow got out again recently. And that's it, Deadbug. That's a case from Dark Topic that came back to haunt us this month. It's a lost episode of Dark Topic. I just brought it back. Well, that's, uh, I mean, it's a, a, it's a massive failing of the system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I hear about these sort of crimes, Jack, and I, I ponder them as you do, you know, I don't want to elongate this uh, okay. subject longer, but I mean, I've always thought that putting these people on an island or something, mm -hmm. not like a, not like a tropical island, right. but like some sort of like a fucking Gilligan's Island for fucking pedophiles. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a Gilligan's Island for, for, for you know, for, yeah. for pedophiles. And you got some guy like Skipper, king of the pedophiles, is leading them all. And then they're isolated from the rest of the world. Because Jack, it's proven that chemical castration don't work with these jokers. You know, I mean, they, they got the hunger, Jack. Right. No, it doesn't. Because they still like molesting. Like, they don't have to ejaculate and all that. They still like the act of, of having power over something that's innocent and all that. And right? it's almost inherent in them. And, and it's just these mm -hmm. the prison system, these people can't be cured. Mm -hmm. They can't be cured, Jack. So we're locking them up and we're paying all these big bucks. Yeah. And I just... Uh, and trust me, I'm not. I'm not getting all uh, liberal here, or shiny sure. or soft. But I'm just wondering if if locking up a human being for their entire life is the right thing. Yeah, I know. I in in prison with hardened criminals. I mean, this guy's not going to do very well. And he, it is. It feels like he's just a big kid. Um, yeah. Even though 
This is you put a, so. You put them on an island, Jack. You put them on a fucking island, like Gilligan's Island for pedophiles. It's not a tropical island. It's not particularly nice. Mm -hmm. You know, like just some fucking island. You know, just throw them out there. They give them, you know, I don't know. Like here you are. Well, you you airdrop in some food and let them do what the fuck they want to each other. They can all ass fuck each other. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if Mm -hmm. they they like their child porn, just drop it in for them. Here we go. Fucking knock yourself out. But, you know, you're you're banned from society. And it's so far out, they'll never be able to swim anywhere. They'll never right. be anything. And like you said, then you get some guy like Skipper, yeah. Alan Hale, you know, from Gilgaz Island. He's like right. the boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeps them all in order. Sure. Yeah. Don't you think so? That's a good idea. Imagine you um, were out fishing and a fucking mm. big squall comes in. And you you find the island. You like, fucking oh, get shipwrecked. That's yeah, a whole different episode, uh, you know, <laughs> on a three hour cruise. <laughs> oh, thank God. There's people here. <laughs> hey, welcome to uh, welcome to Survival Island. My name is Wendell Hopwee. <laughs> he's wearing, he's wearing coconut a coconut fucking bra <laughs> with the fucking the diaper the speedo diaper. Yeah, uh, maybe not. Maybe okay. So you just wrecked that whole idea. Well, listen, Jack. I mean, thanks for sharing that. Uh, that feel that was yeah. a feel good tale. Thank you. Uh, it had a happy ending at least. Yeah, thanks for going through it with me, man. That's I was wanted that to be serious, but that's the most fucking f- fun we had with an episode yet. It seems I don't know what the fuck happened. Well, Randall, despite being a pedophile, was definitely the gift that kept on giving when it comes to laughter. And once you did that voice, uh, I couldn't get back on track. We just couldn't get back. So I guess in many ways it was your fault. As always. All right. So, so what do you got there, man? Well, Jack, I suppose the story that I'm about to recant to you, I could have saved for Christmas because it happened on January 25th. But I guess being we're already headed into the season, it's okay. No harm, no foul, as I used to say. Jack, my tale from the bottom down for this episode is the Lawson Family Massacre. Are you familiar with this story, Jack? No, I hadn't heard of it. I, I'm surprised I haven't heard of it. I looked into it a little bit before we started, of course, but I'd never heard of it. And I, you'd think you would because it's right on Christmas Day where this occurred. And by all accounts, it is a brutal series of events. Now, as mentioned, this happened on Christmas Day in 1929. Let me take you back to that year, Jack. Why don't you sit back, grab yourself a coffee, and relax. Now, 1929 was a memorable year for many reasons. The St. Valentine's Massacre, where Al Capone had seven of his competitors brutally gunned down in the streets of Chicago. The Boston Bruins won the Stanley Cup over the Montreal Canadiens. Go Bruins. Herbert Hoover was sworn in as the American president. The first colored television was put on demonstration by Bell Telephone Laboratories, and they sent a color picture of the American flag with the resolution of 50 lines from New York to Washington, D.C. And dare I say, my family's first color television that we got in 1971, well, probably weren't that much clearer. I remember the first thing that I saw in color was the Planet of the Ape movie. It was also the year of the Cleveland Clinic fire, a terrible tragedy where some x-ray film stored in a basement ignited and the noxious fumes from it ended up killing 129 people almost instantly. Prohibition was nine years in, but it was only gonna get worse because by autumn, the dollar bill was worthless and it was the start of the Great Depression. So to be a farmer in the fall of 1929 wasn't an enviable occupation. 
And that's where this tale picks up, Jack. Charles Davis Lawson was a farmer in Germington, North Carolina. He's no more commonly as Charlie, and Charlie had a big family to support. Seven kids, eight if you'd counted the one who tragically passed away a few years earlier. The Lawsons had been tobacco farmers, but in 1927, they'd saved enough money to get their own farm, just down the road on Brook Cove Road. Charlie Lawson and his family were just about to celebrate Christmas. Lawson, aged 43, took Fanny, his wife, aged 37, and their seven children. There was Arthur, aged 19, Marie, aged 17, Carrie, 12, Mabel, 7, James, 4, Raymond, 2, and then there was the baby, Mary Lou, at just four months, and cute as a button, Jack. It's just a couple of days before Christmas, Jack, and the Lawsons have gone into town. And by all accounts, they are splashing out. Charlie's buying everybody gifts. They've gone out for a nice meal, which might not seem unusual if not for the fact that the Great Depression has just started two months earlier. The dollar is worth almost nothing, and the future is very uncertain. And yes, Charlie Lawson, by all counts, is doing well. Riding a gravy train with biscuit wheels, some may say, but by no means is he a wealthy individual. Now, what the Lawson family did next was even stranger. They had their family portrait taken, which for the time was very unusual for working class people. Yeah, sure, the Big Shaw Rich did it, but for poor people, all working class, very unusual. And when they walked into that portrait studio, and they had that picture taken. It was the last time that the Lawsons were seen alive. And that photograph was the only document of the life lived. All those pictures from that time are creepy, but this is particularly creepy. Even uh, without knowing what, what eventually happens here, it's just creepy. I mean, the father looks like he just stuffed his head into a coal mine. Um, maybe got punched in the face a bunch of times. And the rest of them look like they're being held hostage. But that's, that's typical. And that's for a couple of reasons, Jack. One of those reasons being because of everybody's teeth was so bad. Dentistry, especially in those rural regions, was non-existent. So you would want to smile and show a, a shitty smile. But also because of the exposure time on the camera. You would have had to hold that smile for about three minutes for it to work. You know, and if you did, and if you managed to pull it off, you see any of those photos of somebody widely smiling? It's a dead fake smile, right? So it looks terrifying. Well, because it's just not natural. No one can hold a smile for three minutes unless you're the Joker. You know, it's like when we would have our portrait taken to school. We had the, you know, school picture day. I always had a wise guy taking my picture. Always. You know, you'd sit there, you want to look cool, you want to have a good expression. And he, he wouldn't take the picture. He'd say, oh, come on, smile. What, you think you're a tough guy? You're tough. And as soon as you open your mouth and say, oh, fuck off, he'd take the picture. And then you'd get home and your mom would see the picture and she'd say, what the fuck? You know, can't you just smile or, or have a normal, cool look? You gotta, I, I, I'm not paying for this. So my mom would never pay for the pictures because I look like shit. And now I have no documentation, Jack. <laughs> and I suppose they just couldn't take multiple pictures. So you just stood there, straight faced. Uh, apparently people didn't really start smiling in portraits until the mid to late 1930s. Right. But Jack, are we here to talk about the semantics of portrait photography? <laughs> 
Or are we here to talk about murder? <laughs> well, you've seen this portrait, Jack, and this guy's got a big family. He's obviously not doing a lot of farming. Seems like he's spending most of his days getting stinky finger with Fanny. <laughs> no, well, not the, not the type you think. But, uh, and Fanny is holding Mary Lou, the baby, the four-month-old in that photo. And the baby seems to be pretty uh, in focus. That's unusual for babies in these photos as well. It's it's a well-mannered baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because any movement will cause a blurry photo. But, I mean, the whole family's in focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just... Indicative of a well-behaved family, right? A well, well-behaved little family, and, and they got it together. Which in some uh, ways makes the picture even more creepy, as this being the last documentation of their lives. Now, the family's movements from the 19th of December, to which they had that photograph taken, to the 25th, are sketchy. Uh, not much is known. Not too many people saw the family. But on the son Arthur's own account, they got up early on the 25th, as kids do. They opened their gifts. They had their breakfast. They were enjoying the morning, sitting by the fire, playing with the toys, with Charlie and Fanny, no doubt proudly looking on, with Charlie smoking his pipe, and Fanny doing a needlepoint. It was around 11 a.m. that Charlie excused himself and said that he had to go to the tobacco barn to tend to some matters. It's estimated that around 11.30 that Carrie, 12, and a younger sister, Mabel, 7, excitedly bounded out the front door, landing in the fresh snow that lay about two inches thick, and headed to the uncle's farm that was adjacent to the Lawsons to bring their family their gifts, giggling with the thoughts of what the day would bring, but they only made it about 20 feet before Charlie Lawson stepped out of the shadows and shot them both in the face with the shotgun. Carrie was first, falling mid-stride, skidding in the snow. A crimson blood soaking into the snow. By the positioning of the bodies, seven-year-old Mabel had run to her sister where she was shot and fell. They were closest in life, and sadly closest in death. Yeah, he was hiding behind, beside a tobacco shed, came out, shot them both, and then finished them off with the butt end of his uh, shotgun, bludgeoning them in the head. Although I don't know why, Jack. With the faces full of buckshot, there was no doubt that he got them good. And then he dragged their lifeless bodies in their Christmas finery into the tobacco shed, putting a rock under their heads, crossing their arms on their chest. Yeah, good night. Yeah, good night, sweet uh, angels. Insane. A parent's job is to protect their children, Jack. So as Charlie's footprints tread over the trail of blood left by his daughters, He heads back to the house. It is then that his beloved wife, Fanny, steps out of the front door. I guess she'd heard the gunshots, came to investigate, was shot in the chest. On the porch, on the porch there. Dropped right down beside a bucket of firewood, which it appeared she'd used to try to hoist herself up before succumbing to her injuries. The death to us part, darling. (laughs) Makes you wonder what her last thoughts were when she saw Charlie's face and that big old shotgun squaring up to her. Yeah, she had just finished baking, like, a Christmas cake, too. It's, like, sitting on the counter. And the daughter, the oldest daughter's inside, too, I think, right? That's correct. Marie, 17, is inside with her other siblings. And it's Marie, sitting by the front window, assembling her younger sister's dollhouse that she got for the morning Christmas present, who sees her father shoot. Her mother raises the alert, tells her siblings to hide, rushing to the cradle of her sister, who's only four months, trying to protect her. But to no avail, because Charlie steps in the front door, and he shoots her as she runs in the back. Now, not knowing why, 
James and his younger brother Raymond have hidden themselves, as well as any kids can hide. Yeah, brutal. Th- those two little boys running to hide. So how old are they? Four and two, I think? Just new to this world. <laughs> Dude, four and two running off to go hide. You know, they've played hide and seek before. I play hide and seek with my kids still. And just the, imagining um, being stalked by someone who's out to likely kill you. It's your dad. It's your dad, but you just saw him shoot your older sister and you're hiding from him. Well, it's unsure if they saw their sister get shot or they're aware that the mother's been shot. But one thing's for sure, they know they're playing hide and go seek for keeps. And this is a game that they got everything to lose. Stepping over Marie's body, Charlie proceeds to go into his boy's bedroom, which they share. And he pulls James out from under his bed, and he shoots him in the face. Then he walks over to the closet, where Raymond is badly hiding. And then he shoots him in the chest, and then the face. I mean, it makes you wonder what these kids said, that they begged the daddy. Daddy, please, why don't? I'm sorry. I mean, I guess all these words will come to mind with a child who doesn't know if they've done something wrong. I mean, they're just looking for that love from their parent, that protection, that care. Two-year-old Raymond was shot first in the chest. And who knows, maybe that glance saying why was too much and... uh, they shot him in the face. Yeah. Uh. uh. Dude. Fucking brutal. No, this is the most brutal part, Jack. Because Charlie then returns into the living room. And he walks up to the cot where his four-month-old baby Mary Lou is lying. The darling daughter who is known for never crying laying in that cot, wearing the dress that he had purchased for only a few days earlier for Christmas morning. And as she looks up at him with the trust of a baby, he takes his rifle butt and he bashes her face into a fire. There's nothing left of her. Uh. Who does that, Jack? Uh. What sort of madman does that to a baby? Fuck. That's it. The last leaf on his family tree. Yeah, he's wiped him out, except for, I guess, the only one left is his oldest son, right? Arthur, 19? Arthur is his name? Correct, Jack. And I'm not sure if it's nepotism or just a stroke of good luck, but he'd sent Arthur on an errand. So he escaped the execution. Yeah, I have theories on this, but... You do? Yeah, I I have some theories on it, but we'll continue your story there, Debug, and we'll, we'll, we'll... talk about it all afterwards I'm sure Charlie is now left he's walked out and he's left the house gone somewhere people in the area have heard the shots and they're gathered they're entering the home they're seeing yeah. this this horrific scene which for me is odd because I've always been the one to head in the opposite direction of gunshots <laughs> me too me too back then you know and, and he, they were pretty bored back then so anything that happens so his brother and his brother's wife, sister-in-law, lived close by in a farm. So the thought was is that the gunshots were heard. They came over to check it out. They discovered it. Or the son had shown back up home and discovered it and then went running for help. And in running for help, you're telling all the neighbors that there's a problem and they all, they all show up. Looky-looing. 
And as they all show up, they hear, and the police arrive with Arthur. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I was. Yeah, the police arrive with Arthur, so I don't know how far the town was. And as they're there, they hear another gunshot. And they go out into the forest, and that's where they find Charlie. Yeah, the only one in the group who isn't laying there with his hands clasped over his chest. He's he's uh, put all of his children he killed in the house along with his wife, they, their heads on pillows, right? And clasped their hands on their chests as Which well. Which is very disturbing. I mean, I know it sounds morbid, but I'd love to see a photo of that because just because, yeah. just because of how, uh, I mean, they must have looked like goddamn religious icons or something. Uh, I know, I know. Yeah. And uh, the people who showed up to the scene probably saw all this too. Yeah. Right? The, the back then, they would, they would just start walking into the house. Be like, what the fuck happened here? Well, it's a mix of very weird, disturbing, and unsettling. All wrapped into one. I heard some interviews with some of these people. I mean, these are very, uh, you know, not simple like your retard buddy, the superhero guy. But these, <laughs> but these guys are very simple as just in very simple people, like very, uh, they're farmers, they're farm folk. Yeah, I, I saw some quotes too, and you're you're right. They just kind of talk like matter of fact about everything, including the slaughtering of a fucking family by a father. So when they find him out in the woods, there, Debo, there's a disturbing detail there uh, about his footprints. Did you have that? You mean the part about him pacing? Yeah, that that freaks me out. He'd been walking around the tree over and over again. Yeah, weird. I mean, you you wonder. I mean, I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe. I mean, killing yourself probably ain't as easy as uh, killing someone else. You know, maybe right. he was cowardly yeah. or whatever. Because he did. It was really weird. Didn't he? he used a stick or something, and he shot himself in the heart. Which seems, if you want to get the job done, you'd shoot it in the head. But then he positioned the gun against his chest, and then used a stick to pull the trigger. Yep. Not. I think you're onto it when you say cowardly. I mean, it's a cowardly act. Yeah. Killing your fucking children, shooting them in the back as they uh, skip off to their aunt and uncle's house um, on Christmas Day. Yeah. Probably to go get some gifts and then slaughtering the rest of your family. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that he went out there and was just, the plan was to shoot himself. And then he um, faltered, paced around the tree until he got his balls up and then used a stick to uh, to push on the trigger that shot him in the heart. It's just very bizarre. So they found him out there, and I mean, it was weird because, I mean, I saw some interview with some old guy, and he was saying, uh, and like I said, this guy, uh, it's just simple. I mean, he's definitely a couple of sandwiches short of a tray, you know, of sandwich. He was just like, because <laughs> he laughed. He said, I hope, he, he was laughing. He said, I, I just hope that I would never be so crazy to shoot my family. Like, it was just it's just weird oh. how he said it. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's not very confident built into you if your family's standing around you. Like, it was just, but then I put that down again to the simplicity of number one, the times and the simplicity of, of the people. Yeah. I mean, here's a quick story from what happened there as well. I mean, they turned that house later on. I hope I'm not getting too far ahead of you, Dead Bug. Oh, I think you, I know where you're going with this, the, turning it into a museum. Uh, the uncle. Yeah, his uncle, didn't his uncle turn the place into like a sightseeing tour? Like check out the murder yeah, house yeah. and you pay yeah. him? And instantly, almost fucking instantly, like a week afterwards. The blood was still in the snow and he was charging people a nickel to see the joint. <laughs> the cake that the mum was making was still on the table. Yeah, and they were, and they had that as part of the thing. And people were was, people, people was stealing uh, 
raisins, was it? The raisins, yeah, off the off the cake, and they had to finally cover it up with it. And it's fucking weird, because, you know, I know you have a brother, Jack, who's big in the podcast world. Yeah. I mean, is he the type who turn, mm. if your family were brutally murdered, would he turn your murder house into a bit of a sightseeing expedition? It, in in this time, yeah, yeah, for, for sure he to, would. To, to make a buck. If, if this was, yeah, if it was back in this time, I think... He's exactly the type who would do he's, that, so Leroy. Be, so Leroy is the type, yeah, because I saw his picture and he struck me as the type. <laughs> yeah, he kind of looks like Randall Hopley a little bit too. We found two people, Jean Chrétien and my brother Leroy. <laughs> okay, I'm here. Who needs help? <laughs> yeah, try the raisin cake. Oh, these are good raisins. I mean, uh, that's what I was thinking. He's the type. He looked like the type who, even if I was murdered in my family, mm. he'd inquire about uh, turning <laughs> <laughs> but although I, I shouldn't uh i shouldn't even uh i shouldn't even comment because my brother's uh, even fucking worse i mean he's he's he, he's yeah. uh his his hobby is taxidermy and i'm sure he'd stuff all my family and turn us into a petting zoo <laughs> rip off my balls and turn them into a large goblet and charge people 20 bucks to sip from it saying it's an elixir of knowledge <laughs> fucking family eh can't fucking choose them jesus christ if they're not fucking selling you out they're killing you <laughs> that's awesome man Hey, but the <laughs> this house, this murder house uh, that this guy's like fucking being the Ringling Brothers about or whoever the hell. You mean Barnum and Bailey? One of the things that stood out to me was the way that they were buried all together, dead bug. Like, did you see that? How they all had the same tombstone? Yeah, it's very peculiar. Didn't they put it down to he's uh, a member of the Freemasons or something? Yeah, yeah. There's a Freemason symbol on on his stone. And but all the family are buried kind of together, and there's concrete around where they've been buried. So it's like they're together in death. Something they would never do today if there was a a guy who killed his whole family. They wouldn't bury him with the family, I don't believe. Um, but back then they did. Yeah. This whole thing is bizarre. He looked like Lurch from the Adams family, and like I said, he had the <sighs> dirtied up face, and. and <sighs> The whole thing makes me uncomfortable and strange. Yes. No, it, I get that sense too. They said that there was a head injury that he suffered, and I think that might be true looking at that photo because it looks like he's bruised or something. Yeah, there was something, wasn't he? He was building something or doing some digging, some sort of trench or water so the water wouldn't flood mm-hmm. into the house. And they said that they did some sort of autopsy and they didn't find anything. But, I mean, I find that really right. hard to believe because, I mean, what kind of – this is a fucking 1929 – Right. Like what sort of fucking, yeah, I mean, uh, you so, know, what sort of autopsy are they going to do? I don't know. They hit it with a sledgehammer and be like, ah, it looks pretty good, right? Cracked I it. think there had to be some sort of brain damage here because, I mean, there's nothing. Now, I mean, let's get into the let's get into the theories here. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. I mean, one of the things before we get into the theories, one of the strange things that I said is how everybody was like walking all up at the funeral because they said that the funeral was so big that it went down for miles down the road. Yeah, I mean, there's... How many people are dead here? Eight? Uh, seven. Seven? Seven. Se- that's a lot, man. That's a whole family. I mean... It, it, yeah, yeah, no, but everybody showed no, up. No, eight. You're, you're, I'm, I'm sorry, eight, including, uh, obviously, uh, Charlie, Mr. Lawson. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot of caskets. What? I mean, it's quite the scene. And it was very disturbing for me went at the funeral and they were like able to lift up the casket and look inside that's fucking weird like why would you want to i don't know morbid man back then 
Yeah, they kind of treated everything a little with less reverence than we do. They're, maybe they're more familiar with death than we are these days. Like people were dying at a higher clip. So they were more comfortable with it, perhaps? That's a good point. I mean, most definitely. You never go to any of these uh, cemeteries uh, in these old areas. Yeah. I mean, you see it and it just it's so many people age seven, age nine, age yep. 16, you know, yep. and it doesn't say how they died, but... It could be anything right out there. I mean, I, I read that uh, tons of deaths just from like getting hit by horse and buggy. Tons of auto accidents yeah. in, the, in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. They had no fucking rules. They didn't know what they were doing. I mean, yeah. even 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 totally the even true. the basic wound or, or operation could probably end in infection and dying, and you know. Yeah, yeah. And kids were getting sick. Kid, you know, often kids were just getting sick from... I mean, they die in a diarrhea, for fuck's sakes, from drinking shitty water. They don't know what's, what the cause is, and they yeah. don't have good access to good uh, health care. Yeah. I, I suppose you could be right. It just it might be a general mm -hmm. familiarity with, with death. Still. But nevertheless, mm -hmm. those deaths and the way they occurred, <laughs> it's not typical and very brutal. Yeah, it was a, a sensation for the area. And the picture uh, there and the whole town and everybody's dressed up in their finery like they're going out to some big event. Yeah, it's super odd. Uh, do you get the sense... Okay, so we're going to talk about some of the theories yeah. uh, behind it. Can I bring up one now? I don't, I'm not even sure if you have this theory. I think I might have kind of just concocted it. I'll do one quick. Probably, knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think that's a compliment. You I and think. your brother, you so, and your brother, just got fucking. <laughs> <laughs> so, me and Randall Hopley, yeah, exactly. uh, my brother. He's actually my brother. That's why I know so much about the case. <laughs> no, no. Uh, 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 all kidding aside, no. Please share with uh, yeah. your theory. All right. So I think it's possible that he let the oldest son go because he was a threat. Like he's much bigger than Charlie. His son Arthur is big. He's a big guy. He's seen in the photo. I think he was a threat, and he kind of sent him off in an errand Holy to get fuck. rid of the biggest you, you threat. Know, you know what? This is a, a, this is where I totally fucked up. You're right, because remember when I said the dad looked like Lurch? That's his son. Yeah, yeah. That's his it's, son. That's, that's the son. The son is yeah. big. He looks like a – he's built like a brick shithouse, and he's big. Yeah. He looks like he's a linebacker for the 49ers. Right. He's tall. Right, so – He's huge, and the father, dude. the father and doesn't. Farm yeah, boy. and the ex, well, exactly, and the father doesn't. Uh, he doesn't look like he'd stand a chance. No, so I think that's that's where that begins. Also, wiping out the whole family, um, his lineage kind of continues in that way. Maybe that's some kind of uh, benefit to him. But I think what he did by laying the hands over everybody's uh, chest and put their heads on pillows, like that, he cared. He showed some kind of care for them in that way. I think what he was doing was wiping the slate clean and thinking he was going to head off into the afterlife with his family and get a fresh start because there was some kind of mistake that he made. And that is another theory that you probably have there with something that was going on with him and his daughter, right? This is weird. Well, because here's the thing. Um, I mean, the daughter looks kind of tasty. I know she's seven. She's yeah, I know she's seventeen, so. but this is back in mm -hmm. this is back in those days, a long time ago. So. Yeah, um, open game. Yeah, I mean, it was a long time ago where, you know, they got married at 13 and whatnot. So, I mean, that was one of the theories where mm. people openly talked about that he was having an incestuous relationship with her daughter, Marie. With his daughter, yeah, yes. And that she was possibly pregnant, right? Yeah. I'm not buying that, though. 
I, I, I don't know about that. A lot of people don't. After all, this is the incest capital, North Carolina. It's in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. That shit was happening all the time. And it, uh, it right. might have been slightly frowned upon, but uh, I mean... It, 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 Not enough to kill your whole family no, yeah, over? That's what I'm saying. I, I just, I honestly don't think... I mean, don't forget, this was back uh, 20 years later. You, you had people like Jerry Lee Lewis marrying his 13-year-old cousin. Right. Publicly. Yeah. And don't, t- don't forget, we're talking this is farm country. Yeah, backwoods. You know the score, Jack. I'm not advocating it. I'm certainly not saying that this was acceptable. But I'm certainly not saying it was unusual. Right. Yeah, okay, so I, I can get with you on that, and that, that not being the reason. Do you, do you have any idea of th- what other reason there could be? Do you think he went insane? As simple as that? For me, it comes down to some sort of brain injury when he'd hurt his head. Uh, building that latrine or whatever he was doing. Uh, you know, and although these John Hopkins brain specialist guys said they found nothing, I mean, what the fuck does that mean? This was 1929. These guys didn't even have cable TV yet. No, yeah. no abnormalities. Yeah, what are you guys fucking looking, you know? You're digging in there with a fucking spoon and fork. I mean, what are you looking for? <laughs> I think, for me, it's a brain injury. He hurt his head and he fucking went bonkers. Yep. Cocoa Puffs. I agree. And that's what friends and family have theorized, too. Did he want the type of guy to do this? Yeah, I agree. I think that's what it is, too. Uh, for, for a while, I, would, I, I can't discount him possibly impregnating his daughter as part of the reason, but you make a good point that this is backwoods farm country. Yeah, the, the head injury. She was a good-looking girl. I agree. And I can see I, why you're fixating on that yeah, theory. Yeah, she was. The whole walking around the tree afterwards thing, we kind of already covered that. That's him just getting his balls up, I think. That's just him getting his balls. It's funny. Until you pointed that out, the whole time I've just been looking at the son thinking it was the father. Right. And the only reason he was letting the kid go was because of the lineage to keep the family tree alive. But now I'm thinking the reason he let him go was because he's so powerful. He could have stopped things. Yeah. If someone was going to be able to intervene and prevent these murders. It's him. Arthur. You bet your sweet ass, Jack. And you're not going to be able to bring him down with one shot. No, you're not. <laughs> no. no, he's a beast, man. He's scary looking. I thought the same thing, Deadbug. I thought that that was the dad. Because as soon as you see that photo, you're like, oh, there he is. There's the guy who killed everybody. You're drawn to him. Mm-hmm. He's dominating the frame. And intense looking, right? He looks intense. His eyes look very intense. Well, yeah, he looks like Lurch from the Adams Family or that Bond villain from Moonraker. Jaws. I mean, the guy looks like a freak of nature. He's got that whole dark circles under his eyes thing going on. But we speak ill of the dead, Jack, because he perished in an automobile accident in 1956. I guess the Reaper finally got him. Really? Yeah, he had four kids, right? He had four kids. What a tragedy. Yeah. Tragic uh, story for everybody. Just a very sad story. But I think you might have something with this whole incest angle. The whole thing was bizarre. They had no financial problems when everybody else in the country seemed to. And Well, isn't it? It's so creepy. The photo was creepy because people believe, and I think you and I believe, that he got that photo taken because he knew it would be their last photo together because he was planning on doing this. I think so. And, right? And then what's even cre- what's creepy, too, is that uh, he lays their hands over top of their chest as if it lovingly. And that goes to tell you that he thinks that he's doing them a favor, in my mind, that he's uh, bringing them onto another life that's better than what they're dealing with. Yeah. And then killing himself, he's joining them. 
And that just sounds insane to me, which could lead to his Possibly. head injury. There was a book written years later, 2006, I think, titled The Meaning of Our Tears, which I think is quite a lovely title. And it's written by a close friend of the oldest Lawson daughter, Marie. Right. And I'm not sure how credible it is, but the close friend said that uh, two weeks before the murder, or murders, Marie had confided in her, and she had said that she'd been pregnant by the father, which adds credibility to your theory. So if the father was getting balls deep with the daughter, why did the best friend take so long to spill the beans? Yeah, so kind of going back to that, that theory as well, that that uh, freaked him out. Well, you know, originally I discounted that theory because, I mean, what, she's, she's yeah. telling everybody about it 60 years later. But then after I'm discussing it with you, I'm thinking, well, you know, so, oh, I got a story. No, I hear you. You know. <laughs> yeah, there, there, she was saying stuff like, um, yeah, that she, she that the, that the mother was aware of it too, and was starting to ask questions and talk to her friends as well. But again, this is all um, kind of gossip. Many decades later, I, I just find I just find it hard to believe that 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 because of that he would uh, because I mean back then the, you weren't going to go to jail for it. No, and where's the autopsy on the daughter to find out whether or not she was pregnant? Wouldn't they have done? That's that's a, that that is the first thing that I. I mean, that's the first thing I would have thought. Where and this is where we. Right. This is where it all comes back to Chinese whispers. Where's the fucking autopsy? <laughs> they, no, they could they could have easily found it. I just never heard anybody say Chinese whispers. What is what does that mean? Really? You haven't heard that before? Well, living no. in Asia for a few no. years uh, and working with Asians, uh, I could tell you one thing, and this isn't racist. It's just fact. They love gossip. That's oh, the thing. Fucking gossip okay. about yeah. everything. And they create something out of nothing. And that's where the expression came from, Chinese whispers. I got you. I never heard it. No. Well, there you go, Jack. When my brother sets up that museum and makes a goblet out of my ball sack, you can take a sip out of it and uh, gain some knowledge. <laughs> yeah. But getting back to this whole thing about being pregnant, it, for me, it throws even more shade on the fact that they would have had an autopsy. They would have known if she was pregnant. I mean, they would have. But I, when I'm looking at the photo here, Marie looks pregnant to me. I know she's not showing, but there's something about her that I just have an she's eye got a glow. for these things. She's got a warm glow about her? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just fucking... I don't know. I, don't know. I mean, yeah. I mean, you might be reading into that. I mean, this is yeah, like I the night. This is. I mean, this is the 1920s. I mean, the girls they were a bit sturdy back then, weren't they? <laughs> true. That's true. She said she was tasty, though. Well, she is. No, I mean for that era. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna blast one out after you and I got off the conversation. <laughs> no. Oh, I already did. I mean, in my mind, she's a hundred years old. No, but I mean, for general, because I mean, if you, if you look at the mom, I mean, if I was married to the mom, I would definitely be blasting the daughter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's a rough 37, that mom. I mean, uh, yeah. victim shaming. She's got we that same do. fucking lurch eyes as the son has. Yes, that's she? where he got him. That's where he got she's, him. She's got that hundred yard stare for sure. Yeah. Doesn't she? And her oh, eyes are does. really close together, like a skeleton yeah. almost. Yeah, this family's cursed. And it's those Fuck. two. But I don't, I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but let's face it, if she lived, she'd be dead already. I mean, you know, for me, she looks like Skeletor. Yeah, it, definitely he gets it from his mother. I mean, only the uh, son, Arthur. only the son and the mom have it. And the other kids are, are really cute looking. 
Very cute. It's so disturbing. The little boys, I can't get it out of my head. Them running and playing hide and seek, man. Not playing hide and seek. Hide for your fucking life. Um, yeah. And the lot, the little, the little uh, four four month old daughter is gorgeous. I mean, I she's know. just it's terrible. 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 I, I, dude, I just think I'm I, I'm gonna go with the um, I'm gonna go with these. He had a head injury. Me too. I think I'm there as well. Um, yeah. I think I'm there as well. He, he um, didn't leave a note, obviously, behind or anything like that, which makes me feel like it could have been spur of the moment. Wait a minute. What am I saying? He took the photo. See, there are some yeah. people who, who aren't convinced that that photo was taken for that purpose as well. But when you look at the father in the photo, I think I'm seeing something there. I think I'm seeing something loony going on in, the, in his eyes there. He's the uh, only one who's got a, He's the only one who's got a smile on his face. Yeah, right? Like a smirk almost. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Like some shit's gonna happen here. Yeah. And I mean, <laughs> You're gonna, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, Check I see what you mean about. The, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I see what you mean about the daughter. I mean, she's a bit sturdy. She's a bit wide, but uh, you know, she's she's flat as well. <laughs> I just, I, I. It looks like she's holding there a little. Um, I don't know. A little bloat yeah, from me, possibly I'm, being pregnant. Nah, I ain't buying it, Jack. There's no way he'd wipe out his family for that. There's no fucking way. Back then, that was, like I say, he's not going to jail. It was probably even a very low level of uh, shame there. I mean, he could probably walk around and say, yeah, so what? I'm, I'm banging my 17-year-old right. daughter, but look at my fucking wife here. She looks like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she looks like a fucking skeleton head. She looks, you know, cut me some slack here. I'm a fucking farmer. No, I mean, if I didn't know the story and you said one of these people slaughtered this entire family, I'd guess Arthur first and then I'd go right to the mom. Yeah, because oh, Arthur looks like the evil one because he's got those same sort of weird eyes, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, possessed. And Maria looks uh, pissed off. She looks pissed off, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. She, she looks like she's unhappy to be there. It's like, what the fuck are we doing this for? This is embarrassing. It would be embarrassing too. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially if she's nailing her daddy. She just wants to get home and you know, get some of the more a daddy's cock, probably. Who knows? A couple of Chinese guys whispering in the corner. <laughs> I got. I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> you got Leroy lurking in the background, yeah. waiting to open up his place. It's just gay. Let's just hurry up here so I can open up this place as a tourist attraction. Yeah, come on, come on. Fucking, yeah. Him and fucking Randall in their underwear. Scooby-Doo. <laughs> oh, Jack, my boy. Jack, my boy. You always know how to denigrate a serious story with your, your filthy, uh, filthy un-PC humor. You're good at it, too. You're the king of it, actually. <laughs> don't don't deflect, Jack. Do not deflect. I know, I know your fucking game now. Believe me, I'll just edit all that stuff out. <laughs> uh, so, there we, so there we go. But, I mean, uh, all kidding aside, that, that is uh, an upsetting story, to put it mildly. Oh, my God. And I had Disturbing. read and seen some of the interviews... Uh, with the witnesses and some of the people who were there the day of the crime. Uh, and it was some very simple people. Not simple as in yeah. stupid, just simple as in farm folk. Yeah, yeah. And kind of um, not grasping the magnitude of the situation, seemingly, right? With how that yeah. they're handling it. Well, um, I told you, the one the one guy was laughing, saying, well, hey, yeah. I hope that I don't one day, I hope that if I bang my head, I will never kill my family. Like, it's oh, just yeah. like... 
Yeah, just but he just see, and it was just like, are you laughing for Syria? And the fact they're lifting up the uh, the lids of the coffins. Ah, stealing the raisins off the cake that the mum made. Morbid, yeah, morbid curiosity and the Christmas cake. How, how sad. But I, I think this is definitely a, a brutal, sad, sad uh, tale when you see those beautiful children as well. Oh. What I take away from it too, Deadbug, when I look at that photo is like, how lucky are we to have not been born in that place in that time? Like how yeah. fucking, how how brutal is it to have been born there, especially into that family? Um, yeah. But I, just I mean, feel you so sorry for them. Yeah, I mean, you could sit and you could take from it that this guy in a, in a time where, I mean, probably most families had lost a couple of kids. This yeah. guy had... This guy had seven of them. Well, I mean, he lost he lost one yeah. of his children, mm-hmm. uh, but I mean, his children were all looked healthy. Yeah, and he had you know big strapping teenage boy, and then he kills them all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the longer we talk about it, the the you know you kind of have a meter in your mind, or you have a sense about things, a feeling about things. The the longer we talk about it, the more my feeling goes to just snapped, insane. It happened for a yeah. few uh, days after after the head accident. Uh, yeah. developed a plan to uh, take his family with him. Yeah. Except for big old Arthur Lurch. Yeah, big this. old, big old, who ended up passing away anyways. It looked like the Reaper, you know, it looked like mm. the Reaper was after the family and he, he right. missed out on, on that, but the Reaper got him anyways. Got the him. Reaper's going to yeah. get you. Mm. He's going to get you. Well, well, there you go, uh, Jack, my boy. There's my tale. Great one. I mean, not great, but, you know, excellent. Fuck, I don't know how to describe these anymore. Dark one. Well, Luna, I think our time together is done. And that concludes another episode of Tales from the Bottom Down. Now, for any of you guys over on Luna's channel uh, who like what you hear, I'd like to personally invite you over here to my patron. And for as low as a buck, you get plenty of crime and, and lots of other stuff. And I mean, think about it. What can you get for a buck these days? Can't even get a hooker in a third world country for that. I mean, I guess you can over in India. But they're, you know, riding around on a skateboard and they've probably got the flip of fingers and hands and whatnot. And you, you, know, you, you catch something nasty. You won't catch anything nasty over on my channel. So drop on by. And for any of my listeners who love Jack Luna like I do, check him out on Patreon. He's there too and you get plenty of dark stuff. I'll leave his link in the description. Now to play this episode out, I'm going to forego using the usual tune that we use. And I'm going to play a traditional song that was written at the time of the murder. Which, especially in those times, uh, was a very big thing to to write tunes about uh, things that were happening you know depression or whatnot and cheating wife whores and stuff and this song was quite big at the time and well i guess jack it's 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 time to say farewell to the audience and i'll see you guys and everybody else on the next episode of tales from the bottom down adios amigo sayonara
God heed their call And kept on firing fatal shots Until he killed them all And when the sad, sad news was heard It was a great surprise Come home.